0: What a gift what an amazing gift just to bring it up because what a lot of people do when somebody dies is they do the Minnesota nice thing We can't talk about that you know abortion politics death, taxes whatever you're not allowed to talk about how much how many how much do you make you know that's rude oh we don't want to be rude Oh the hell with it be rude be blunt but and and fumble through it fumble through it you don't have to say the perfect thing you don't have mm-hmm. if somebody starts crying, that's an amazing gift that you're just there to be there for
1: them. Hello and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Duchess-Marmette.
2: We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge.
1: We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Jed Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman is a general and trauma surgeon in Olympia, Washington. In our conversation today, we really dive into the topic of death, which is something we've never discussed on our podcast before. We talk about how to discuss death and loss with less fear, Um, how to talk about a good, respectful death, and just how to get more comfortable with the subject and even with being around people who have recently experienced a loss. And um, we also talk about what are the things that are really important in life. Jed shares so much wisdom in this episode and he shares a lot about his own personal life and he talks about how you can have a relationship with a person that's passed away. It's just a different relationship. He also dives into how you can talk to kids about death. And we hope that you gain some nuggets from this important conversation today.
1: But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Thrive Chiropractic. I was first introduced to Thrive Chiropractic over five years ago for kinesiology-based food sensitivity testing. I was so amazed by this non-invasive and inexpensive technique that I took my son to have testing done which confirmed some of his food sensitivities. Both my son and I now have regular tune-ups and even my leery husband has felt the immense benefits from receiving chiropractic care including cupping.
2: With over 25 years of clinical experience, the doctors at Thrive Chiropractic located in Minnetonka, Minnesota combine their passion for wellness with a strong expertise in effective treatment approaches. When you first come to Thrive Chiropractic, the doctors are focused on helping you feel better as soon as possible, and they recognize that one type of treatment or technique does not work for everyone. Your comprehensive exam, personal goals, and individual concerns help the doctors tailor your custom treatment plan for maximum results. Thrive Chiropractic's integrative approach offers holistic and effective healthcare with a full spectrum of complementary products and services, including acupuncture, massage, food sensitivity testing, CBD, and premium supplements. As a special offer, Thrive Chiropractic would like to invite listeners of our podcast to
1: experience the gifts of health with a $25 new patient visit, which includes the initial consultation, a comprehensive exam, any necessary x-rays, and first adjustments. Simply visit the website, at www.thrivechiromn.com or call 952-746-5612 and reference the Arts of Living Well podcast. When you're seeking effective, non-invasive treatment approaches to support your health goals, let Thrive Chiropractic be your
2: partner in wellness. Call or book online today. Hi, Jed. We are so excited to have you on our podcast today. Um, we were put in touch with you by our good friend Betsy Weiner and I also know your sister-in-law Jessica from my old camp days which is so crazy. What a small world we live in. Everyone's interconnected. I know we were just chatting a few minutes ago and we know tons and tons of people in common so I'm always amazed at what a small world it is.
0: It's great right, isn't it?
2: Yeah Absolutely. So everyone has a story and we would love for you to share your journey of how you became a surgeon and after practicing medicine for 20 plus years, eventually helping people, you know, discuss death and loss.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when I was an undergraduate down in Drake University in Iowa, which is its own story, a little bit how I got there, um, I was, of course, on the, on the, on the, path to becoming another Jewish attorney. And um, why that is, I have no idea, but at this point, but I then started doing some philanthropic work with some uh, homes for kids who are needing extra care, um, special needs kids, and then, you know, looked into working at a hospice, which is also tied into today's talk, and realized I didn't want to be an attorney, nothing against attorneys, but I thought I'd better do something that's a little less desk oriented and a little more Hands-on oriented, and so I did all my prereqs, and then went to medical school um, a couple of years later at the University of Minnesota. And while there, um, I saw my first person die, which was interesting, and learned that I wanted to be a surgeon because um, probably due to ADD. But you know, he can I can focus on things, and I'm uh, you know I'll be I'll admit it. You know, it's a lot of surgeons have that um, where I can focus intently. Really well for hours if I have to, but uh, talking to somebody in clinic wasn't my my strong suit. Needless to say, I learned to love clinic as well because um, I really love talking to people um, and my patients. I really adore my patients. So, um, so I went to medical school, became a surgeon at, in in Seattle, and um, started working. You know, trained at a, at a trauma center, a major trauma center, and then started working as a surgeon in Seattle.
1: Wow. Um, so. How can you talk a little bit about the evolution, like through that, those 20 years that you've been working, you know, how you eventually started helping people with death and loss, and maybe a little bit of background as to why this topic is not openly discussed, you know, within the medical community in a positive light, where like we were chatting earlier about how it's avoiding death, which is obviously, you know, of course the goal, but all of us at some point. Are going to leave this current earth that we're living on. Um, can you just dive into that a little bit more?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what I noticed as there there were many different types of deaths that people were experiencing when I was either their doctor or as a resident or in the ICU from you know, the 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 group of people who had head trauma, who were recovering slowly, young people who had actually had a great potential to recover and, and have a meaningful life, to a lot of people who were just in my opinion, we were prolonging their death. We were, we were no longer, um, providing a quality of life or even a length of life. It was just that nobody could make a decision to allow them to pass away. And a lot of this has to do with technology, you know, 50, 50 or a hundred years ago when there wasn't really ventilators and there weren't the antibiotics that we have and the uh, interventional that we have even non-surgical interventions, like, you know, like cardiac stents or things that are surgery, but not quite people would die and we didn't really have a choice. Now we have this big choice that over, overarchs everything that surgeons and other doctors do, It's we can, but should we? You know, yes, of course I can operate on anybody, but should I operate on anybody is a much harder question to answer. And um, it has a lot to do with, I think, are we gonna make a difference? And that's me, you know, that's my opinion. Some doctors feel that death should be avoided at at all costs. And, 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 you know, that, that journey for me was really born out of seeing a lot of people die, what I would call, and this is my opinion. Again, I don't pretend to speak for everybody, but a bad death. And when I say a bad death, I don't mean that they, they were bad or they did something wrong, but that they didn't die with the respect or the, ritual or the um, the honesty with their families about what was happening and they they died either being coded with CPR at, at the age of 80 or 90, or they died after we put them through literally so many different operations and 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 iterations of medicine that it was it was hard to recognize them as a human body, not as a spirit, but as a human body at that point. There was tubes and lines and everything. So that avoidance like you brought up stephanie very importantly of talking about death that avoidance of just dealing with our own mortality like you brought up as well which is great um that avoidance of understanding what they believe in in the afterlife because this idea of heaven and hell doesn't doesn't really jive with a lot of people and it, you know as a jewish person it doesn't really jive with me too much that avoidance of talking about scary things about loss on so many levels really has hamstrung the western societies to talk about what is a scary thing for people you know if there's a shark in the water you don't go in the water because you don't want to get eaten but that's not inevitable right death is coming for everybody and the more we just open up that conversation and the, the less scary it is and the more beautiful it can be i mean um it doesn't have to be scary it can be sad it can be horribly sad, it can be a big mourning, but it, it can also be a ritual like the Native Americans, Indian people do, East Indian people as well, um, Buddhists have different rituals. Um, so many places have different rituals about about the beauty of death with, with, with mourning. So I, that's what I'm hoping that the United States and our Western society will start to move towards.
2: Well it's so interesting that we're talking about this because I know of a few people right now that are either have older parents who are to the point where they're not living the dignified life that they would want to live and maybe they have dementia or they have some sort of you know mental brain dysfunction where they don't even know what's happening um mm-hmm. And it's really hard because, you know, maybe their body is working fine, but the quality of life is not there because the brain is not functioning. And then I also know a few people who have parents where their bodies are giving out because of cancer or whatever reason. And they're going, you know, to the ends of the earth, trying to do everything to eradicate a cancer that probably can't be eradicated at this point. And the quality of life is terrible. And it just makes me think about, you know, how do you spend those end of life days, you know, in peace, or I don't know, it's, it is a really interesting topic.
0: Well, your two examples are perfect, Marnie. I mean, they really are. It's when, when has the body given out and the mind is sharp to me is a far more difficult thing for a lot of people to understand. But the beauty of that situation is, of course, the person can still help us make decisions. And that's a really great thing. The, what I'm hoping to, in by this conversation and with your, you know, with you guys asking questions and, and a good conversation, talk about how do we bring about those discussions when we're 50 or 40 or 30 or mm-hmm. with our kids or with our parents when they, before that we get to that point, mm-hmm. the, de- the, the parent who's dement has dementia, and then he still has a body that's actively living. Actually, I take that back. It's also a very difficult situation because you don't just put them in the, in a recliner in the back and you know come back. The coyotes have had their their take. It's not that sounds terrible, but it's it's true. <laughs> what do you do? You can't just put them out in the right. back forty, right? And and so how to allow people to end life with dignity is so important. And what dignity is is really up for grabs. Really, that's not my choice.
2: And there's legal. No. And there's all these legal ramifications. Too. Like I say to my husband all the time, like, if I'm ever, you know, where I'm not living the life I would want to be living, please kill me. And I know that sounds horrible, but like
0: those are my
2: wishes. I agree.
1: And my whole thing is I don't want to burden someone else. Like I want them to live their life too, because the the stress that a caregiver goes through for years and years when they have when they're caring for a loved one who's in the situations that we're talking about, whether it's their body's gone or their mind is gone. That takes a toll on that individual and impacts their quality of life for years to come. And I've seen that happen. So I think these are such good conversations. Like how does someone start having this dialogue? You know, like, are there even, you know, I don't want to say programs, but for lack of a better word, because in the Western society, we don't have these rituals, like you mentioned, that happen in other cultures around the country yet. Right. How does someone kind of take control? Because, you know, the podcast is all about finding your art of living well. And part of living is it's a circle of life. Part of life is that circle. Right. And so we have to start to think about at some point we're all going to (laughs) exit, regardless of what you believe happens after. It doesn't matter. Your physical body is going to leave this earth. And so how can someone begin to have a conversation and to know like what resources out there? Marnie mentioned legal considerations, all those things.
0: Well yeah, I can talk to about those too, but I think that's a great that's a great transition to what do you do now so you can live a, a good life so you don't have this sort of dread of oh my god my mom's got parkinsons which my mom does and I went and visited her yesterday but she's in a home. What do you do when you know you realize oh I have a child who is injured or who has who was born with a brain injury or cerebral palsy or has cystic fibrosis. I mean these are conversations what what how do you bring that up? And I think that if you look online and I have done this. There are a lot of places you can talk about. Um, who, who can give you information about how to talk to children about death, which is a big one. You know, meeting kids where they're at emotionally and with the verbiage that works for them, which is not, you know, not the big words at all. But asking lots of questions to a child, to talking with parents about making sure they have a living will, which I'm a huge fan of. Making sure they have a a a, a, a this thing it's called a post I don't even know what it means PLST anymore post something legal document that tells people what you want and whether you want to be full code or not and with my mom I've had all those discussions she's not full code if she passes she passes we know what to do with her with her body those are things that are are hard conversations what I've noticed is that uh, that when people have lost in this country we're polite and I hate when people are polite being appropriate is lovely great but when you're polite out of polite need to be polite so that you don't hurt somebody's sensibilities because you don't want to talk about something that's hard because you might ruin somebody's day we sort of just sweep stuff under the proverbial carpet and that carpet has a lot of stuff under it
2: will you um, will you I, like give an example of what you're talking about
0: absolutely so and this is an example that just happened so we'll you know, Deborah, as you guys know, and in, in the podcast, we can talk about this more. Uh, her son died in 2019, end of 2019 from a fentanyl, an accidental fentanyl overdose in our basement. And that was, you know, a, a really big, important deal. And my son, Wyatt, who's a wonderful kid, who's, you know, now 15 doesn't, isn't sure how to talk to Deborah about it. So what he says is, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to bring up something that's hard to talk about. And Deborah, on the other hand, wants to talk about Gabe with anybody because it means that Gabe is still has a presence in everybody's lives that they haven't forgotten him, that he was part of their lives. She loves to talk about Gabe and she has a different relationship with her son now, but she still has one. That's the beauty of what Deborah and, and I've learned a lot about this through, through Deborah, who's a remarkable person to, to actually, it's okay to have a different relationship with the person who's gone but still have a relationship with them. It doesn't mean that they're gone and out of your life. It doesn't mean that you no longer have a parent or a brother or a son or a daughter. It means that that relationship has trans transitioned to one of, of a non-physical body. but we but in some places you know you don't want to remind the person and oh my God, don't bring that up or how could you we have the same thing with abortion and the same thing with other you know cancer. <gasps> don't say the cancer word, don't say the C word. Oh, my God. And with my patients, I bring it up immediately because they're all thinking it if they if there's a question about whether they might have cancer. And every patient I've talked to has said, thank you for bringing that up. I was wondering, and nobody will talk to me about it. You know, we can't talk about death. Well, so, it can, sorry, I was just
2: going to say what you're describing reminds me a little bit of that, you know, Minnesota nice. Like where Absolutely. people don't, I'm, I'm very. I much thought like, the same thing. Like you, Jed, where like say it like it is,
1: like yeah, and, just
2: be real and raw, and you know, if someone's approaching Deborah or another person that has had loss, like typically, I would say most people want that, you know, raw honesty and compassion and whatever.
0: Without drama, a hundred percent blunt yeah. but kind is what I try yeah. to do in medical. Program.
2: Yeah. Blunt, but kind. I I like it. (laughs) I like that. Yes, Yes, me too.
0: And the other thing I always try and have is what's called benevolent detachment. And so that's a Buddhist sort of thing of being detached from an outcome or being detached from the emotion. And emotion isn't bad, but emotion is typically drama. Whereas, whereas, you know, oh, my God, you know, the hand on the head. And that's okay to have for a moment or two or three or a month. But then you have to realize Benevolent detachment means I can still be solid for somebody without getting in the muck and mire with them. Meaning when Deborah's mourning or when I'm mourning, I can be solid for them and observe it, but I don't have to, I don't have to drop my, my soul and my body down to that level so that I'm suddenly unable to help or unable to be supportive. So, and that's what you have to have as a surgeon. You know, I have to go from a patient potentially having a life-threatening injury to talking to somebody about an inguinal hernia if you bring all that energy to that same to those two people, you're gonna show up, you know, looking quite disheveled and quite, you know, oh my god, where is this person? So it, it isn't detachment in the way that we're like where we don't feel. It's detachment where we allow ourselves to observe. And that's another thing that we don't do well, I think, is is this art of observation is so important when you're talking about difficult things and the art of listening. And, you know, those are things that doctors really don't do well. They do well at shutting down so they don't have to feel, and then they don't listen. They interrupt people within five seconds or 10 seconds, or there's been studies about that, you know? Yeah,
2: I I agree with you. And I would say like surgeons, especially, right, are kind of known to be like what you're saying, like detached and cold and, um. And it's interesting to hear it from your perspective where like in one moment you may be dealing with a tumor and in another moment you're dealing with a cyst or, you know, two very different things. And I can see where you really need to get your emotional energy under wraps so that you can manage that. So I I like that you're sharing that because I never thought about it from the surgeon's perspective. I'm always thinking of it from the patient's perspective. i I
0: go opening a chest in the er or taking out somebody's spleen literally i did this last week to having to talk to somebody about about cancer and um if you are if you are if you lose a patient and then you have to go talk to another patient who's expecting this you know idea of a surgeon to come and talk with you you bring that energy and you have to learn how to adjust that not to put it in a box and put it on a shelf that's sort of a a thing that we all do, or a lot of people do to not deal with things, I'm not going to deal with that. Now I put it away. That's okay. At times, you got to bring it back out or it, you know, I, what I've found is if you don't deal with the things that are coming at you, or, or you're involved with, you oftentimes end up, they, they come out what I call sideways, they come out sideways in a way that we don't want. So you know, that's, you know, it's where you, you the guy comes home from the classic, the guy comes home from work and kicks the dog and yells at the kids, because he had yeah. a bad day okay that's that's a classic sort of picture we have in our head but that's not okay so for from a surgeon standpoint I have noticed that a lot of surgeons the reputation is spot on what you said Marnie is they're cold and people say I'd rather have a jerk for a surgeon who's great in the operating room but is a jerk you know you don't it doesn't that's not those aren't those things are not you know aren't, aren't separate things you can have a good surgeon who's also a, can talk to humans it's just unusual <laughs> what I found. <laughs> Not my own horn, but uh, you know, my my friends told me I should have become a pediatrician because I can, I'm good with parents. Um, yeah. So I I took that as a compliment. I, I don't think they meant it because I couldn't, because I had all thumbs. You know, I hope, I, hopefully, that's not how they meant it. But, um, but the the other aspect is humor. You know, for me, humor is my defense mechanism. And so, what you'll find is what I've found is that people love when you don't use big words and you just talk real to people. You know, and you don't talk the same to the to the logger who comes in with, you know, 50 pack you're smoking and hands that could crush you and a baseball hat on that says, you know, I love Trump or I love guns. You don't talk to that to the same person to the, you know, to the Edina, um, housewife or house husband who or, you know, or the, the, the gay couple who comes in with, you know, with concerns and they're both bankers. These are all stereotypes, but you learn how to read the room, and how to talk about loss with each of them in a different way. And a lot of doctors don't understand you got to read the room and you meet people where they're at. Not everybody's ready to talk about it. Okay. I'm not, I'm going to observe that.
2: And I really think that's great advice for any profession, any person in general in life. I like that. You got to read the room and you have to meet people where they're at.
1: Yes. And two other things I thought you said that were interesting, the art of listening and the art of observation, both of those points to what Marnie said are just good principles that we can all be incorporating into our life. I don't think as in general, as a society, we don't do enough listening, right?
0: Yeah, you gotta let people finish their conversation or their statement. Um, you know, I was actually in counseling with my ex-wife now, who we, the, the counselor said, if you don't wait for that race car to come to a complete stop when somebody's talking and then so you can walk around and read the sponsors on the other side of the race car, you haven't, you don't know what they're gonna say. So let people come to the end of their statement before you get reactive and uh-huh. enter. And the other thing is my mom used to drive me crazy. I mean, we all have moms that used, or dads that used to drive us crazy. My mom was quite possibly borderline to it. We don't know, you know, something. Uh, I don't get driven crazy by her at all anymore because I don't get in the ring with her. I don't allow myself uh-huh. to get dramatic she says something that's completely reactive and i go huh wonder what's going on from my mom if i can do that with my mom who is really hard to do with because i was raised by her right i'm not objective how much better of a listener am i going to be if i can do that with my friends with my patients with my loved ones where i just you know a kid comes down who's 10 years old who's pissed off okay hungry tired something happened at school but I'm going to let them tell me or not. I may not be able to fix it. That's, that's the hard part for doctors is we're so used to fixing things. Mm. We have to remember that death isn't something that needs to be fixed. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be owned. It needs to be held. It needs to be faced, but it doesn't have to be avoided or fixed. And let me also caveat that you know, if somebody comes in with a spleen injury, I want to try and save their life. That's not the point. You know, this is a talk about more of a a death talk in general. Um, Just to make sure I bring it up because I'll forget, but some doctors and a lot of doctors feel that there's a slippery slope, that if we allow doctor-assisted suicide, if we allow that conversation of letting somebody die, that, oh, patients will have no faith in us, that they think they'll show up at the hospital and be be put to sleep or be allowed to die. And that's been proven completely bunk, completely baloney. Patients don't want to be kept alive, like what Marnie said, past a quality of life. They don't want to be preserved beyond, they don't wanna be burdens to their loved ones. And and the more we talk about it, the better healthcare gets, not the worse. So I I feel very strongly about that.
2: This is such a fascinating conversation. My it is. And is I think spinning. it's going to like
1: spark so much discussion, I hope, with our listeners and it, just really to think about some of these conversations that they can be having now. It's not really uh, it, it's not really too early or too soon to be having these conversations. Let's not wait until we're on our deathbed. Right.
0: Ever. ever. My, uh, my daughter said to me when her grandfather died um, and then my mom is now going through the process of having an end of life I said, you want to talk to grandma Joyce, my mom. And she said, why? She's just going to leave me like pop-pop did, mm. like, right? Like I have to observe Ruby is pissed off that her grandpa's dead. But how do I get Ruby who doesn't want to talk about anything with me right now, cause she's 13 um, yeah. <laughs> just, right um, to talk about and open up. And so I just have to be present because if I push it, she pushes me away. Mm. So I just have to say, okay, whenever you're ready to talk about it, I'm here. And she knows yes. that. So that's, that's hard for me. Cause I'm an active dad, you know? Yeah. But it's hard. For me. It ain't about me. None of this is about me.
2: Right. It's, it's hard it. to remember that as parents though. Right. Like, cause I mean, you said you're, a, you know, a lot of doctors want to be fixers. I feel like I'm that type of personality where I'm a fixer and I want to fix everything. And you can't, but, I mean, no, it's no. just not possible.
0: Or desirable.
2: Right? Just, or, exactly. I'll- or desirable.
0: It- you learn, if you learn about stuff the way I learned about stuff, which is when things went sideways, I can still remember when I was I had a lawn business, and I was 13 in St. Louis Park, and I went into somebody's house to use the bathroom, and the alarm went off, and the police showed up, like it was yesterday. Okay, I messed up, right? And the police were great, and I didn't get in trouble. I don't remember any of the other lawns that I mowed. <laughs> just that one, <laughs> Right? So, so we remember when we don't do the right thing, and we have repercussions. And it's, it's a great learning experience. And so my cycle of life thing to come back to what Stephanie said, which is really brilliant, is that the the best part about our lives is we can repeat all these things over and over until we kind of get them right. Or we, we evolve Uh and evolution is really uncomfortable for people who wants to be comfortable, I mean, comfortable is a down comforter. Yes. And on a Sunday morning when you don't have to get up, (laughs) that's different. I mean, comfortable, like where we can kind of just go on autopilot and don't evolve as people. And that's why this conversation about death for this country and for our Western society, I think is so important because people, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to face something that's so scary, but how great it is that when you face it, the art of living well, suddenly there's not that weight on your shoulders of a dying parent or your own death, which is really what it's about in a lot of people. They just don't want to face their own death.
1: Yes. So, this is so much good. So such great insight. So we'd love Jed to pivot a little bit. I know you mentioned the loss of your wife's son, and this is you know a topic we'd like to dive in a little bit more, if this is okay. And maybe if you can talk about you talk about Gabe a little bit. I know he was thought he was taking OxyContin. Oxycon to try to help him sleep. And then he was getting given this, you know, street drug called M30. Can you share a little bit about this story? Because I think this is something that's really the last several, several years, right? Been kind of yeah. a, a hot, a hot topic for lack of a better word.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I'm glad you brought it up. So, you know, so just a little history. So Gabe was, and is, a, 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 you know, 17 at the age that he passed away. He was a straight A student in, in high school um he was actually in a junior college program so he was taking most of his classes at a, a a you know community college which a lot of high schools do um he was hoping to go on to be in a in the finance or accounting career you know and and um he was a hilarious fun good looking kid um i can share a picture if you guys would like uh for the for the for the website but whatever works is ha- i'm happy with and and he had anxiety and he had issues of anxiety. And so one of the things that is hard for young men, but also young women, I don't this is not a gender specific, but boys in general, don't talk about their feelings. The classic football team or sports team where you know, you tough it out and don't be a wuss and mm-hmm. you know, they and then they feminize the in a negative way they feminine Oh, you're being a girl. Well, we all should be more like girls, because we all ought to talk about our feelings. If, to use a stereotype. and there are women who don't want to talk about their feelings either. so this is just from my point of view but but Gabe was one of those kids who when he had a an, um, like a big project due at school he would get very anxious. even though as a surgeon and a physician and a doctor and a, and, a, or a, and, a, and a parent who's now you know almost fit but now 50, I could see that that wasn't something to get upset about except in his world, his world that was the most important thing. Meaning, I could see it as well. So you don't get a great grade. You're going to grow up and be a wonderful kid. But he would get really stretched, you know, stressed out. So we had to work with him on how to handle that. And he was seeing a counselor. But he also had, I think, some addiction issues. You know, uh, he was a kid who pushed some boundaries with what he tried and what he did. But we didn't think he was ever using narcotics. And so he went off with one of his friends and bought some oxycodone or oxycontin on the street. And it was a what's called an M30. It was a fake pill which they're everywhere now, just so, you know, you're aware. Um, and it was ground up probably in a coffee grinder. and Then they press these pills, you know, anywhere that you can get a press, which is you can, you can get them online for 150 bucks. And so um, what happens is, is you get a pill that's not professionally dispensed. So you get big chunks of fentanyl in one pill and none in the other. And fentanyl is a drug that's, that's extremely toxic. Meaning it has huge side effects on your respiratory system. When used for colonoscopies, which I, or used for sedation for prior to putting somebody to sleep for, for surgery, it's a great drug because it's a very short half life, meaning it's gone in a matter of 20 minutes, 15 minutes. So you can use it and then the person will wake up right away. So it's great for that. But it also has huge respiratory depression. So he, he was, we were out of town actually, and we had an adult staying with us. And, um, he snorted some of this, um, and clearly got more than he should have. And he died. Um, he wasn't trying to kill himself. You know, that's what people oftentimes ask, which is also a great conversation about suicide, which we we can talk about, but that wasn't what he was trying to do. Um, he'd recently gotten into an exercise program. He was applying to colleges. He had a a big future, but the thing that struck me as so sad was that he was clearly dealing with anxiety and couldn't talk about it and didn't have a way to just say, I'm really feeling anxious or I'm really feeling crappy or I can't sleep. And what he didn't know is that we had Ativan in the house for him, cut into half doses that if he had ever needed it, we told him we would get it for him, but we had already got it in the house. And so Ativan is is a different type of drug that is used for anxiety acutely it has addictive personalities, but it's not deadly um, in the doses we were gonna give it. So we had already prepared for this, but we know Deborah and I are left with, well, what could we have done differently? Which is also a bit of a trap, but it's a good to go through that, to think about how can I talk to my children or other people about it. So Gabe died and um, and that was a, a big part of, of you know 2019. And then the pandemic hit. And so there was a lot of isolation as well for you know, from my children and for Deborah. So it, it was a really, you know, we were in Spain actually when it happened. So we had that horrible trip home. And then we just evolved slowly through Gabe's, you know, death and then, and then through learning how to still keep Gabe alive in, in our hearts. And Deborah has done a remarkable job with that, so I'd, I'd let you talk to her about her feelings on that. But um, and I'd want you to, if you'd like to, but, but that was a big deal as her partner, how to observe, how to mourn Gabe's loss, but not um, not fall apart, because that wasn't my role. I needed to mourn Gabe's loss fully as my own loss, but also be there for Deborah, and it was a lot of learning. A lot of evolution went on this last couple of years and then her dad died a year later and so did her stepfather within three months or four months of each other. So, you know how Deborah is still running around this world, (laughs) smiling and giggling and laughing and having a normal life or whatever normal means um, is remarkable to me, so I've learned a lot from her.
2: Well, I. First of all, I want to say that my heart goes out to you and Deborah and your entire family. I remember hearing about this when it happened and just feeling sick for for a long time. I remember saying to Stephanie, like, we have to talk about this. Like, this is an issue, you know, with these teens. And um, so I really appreciate you sharing the story because like you said, you know, the anxiety, that's a whole issue onto itself. And the fact that these kids can just go out and buy something and think it's one thing and it's something else, that's a whole other can of worms. And like both those issues are so frightening as a parent. Um, You know, we both have teenagers and, you know, you let your teenagers out into the world and it's, it's frankly terrifying, especially when you hear this kind of thing. And then to hear how the two of you have moved, I don't want to say through the loss because I have to believe that you're never going to, that's that hole in your heart is going to be there forever. But the way that you're able to, like you said, have a different relationship with him in death is amazing. Amazing let's, let's, to
0: me. the whole. So, so what I want to really, this is a, an important aspect of death and how we think about death. And this is less about us as a surgeon, although it helps me having seen so many people pass away just from trauma or elderly sickness and in the ICU and talking with families about it. So it's not a foreign thing to me, which Deborah really appreciated because I was always willing to talk about it, that, that although Deborah will never be the same and she doesn't want to be the same, she is whole and she has healed. It doesn't mean she doesn't still mourn. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have days where she just misses Gabe, Mm. but this concept that now Deborah is broken, which you aren't saying, Marnie, I know that you're just feeling it from a parent's point of view, but that is a common theme that she's heard. People say to her, I don't know how you do it. I couldn't have been so strong or how are you so functional right now? Which is almost like a way of saying, Oh, didn't you love Gabe? And what, what, and what, what is takes it to mean what she now understands is that people are saying, I haven't dealt with the idea that anybody in my life could have died. I don't know how you're handling this whereas most people they do learn to handle it and they become whole people are they the same ever again i wouldn't say they're the same no and why would you want to be but certainly they're they're okay they're good they deborah has joy she has love she makes music she has an album coming out she's you know laughs hilariously and we giggle and dance to you know stupid Prince songs that we still listen to in our you know, kitchen, like every Minnesota person should. And we have a really great life. And, and that is a concept for some people is impossible once a child dies. And because Deborah has made such an effort to have a relationship with Gabe that's changed, she still talks to him occasionally. She goes down and sits in his room. You know, We buy food that he likes, um, we, give a, a, we give to charity because he loved to give homeless people charity. She made her give five bucks to every, my sister does this now, even if the person looks like they're going to shoot it up, you just give them the money or you give them a pair of socks or you give them your protein bar because you went to work out. And that's what Gabe stood for. So we do all those things as rituals because Gabe isn't gone. He's dead, but he isn't gone. And there's a, it's really important to address
1: that. I, mm-hmm. I love all, all those nuggets that you just shared. It's a way to continue to celebrate the life of the person that's no longer here, and you're yes. doing that through, you know, part of them is now coming out through your actions, and you're 100%. embracing what they liked—the food and just the, you know, the charity, the, the philanthropic, um, you know, aspect of what what he used to do. I just think that's wonderful, and that I have to believe, and I don't know, I haven't been through this tragic experience that you and Deborah have been through, but that's gotta make you help ease some of the pain and suffering a little bit to know that you are carrying on and continuing the life of this person. And I love the fact that you're having this this relationship just changes and that she's talking to him. I mean, that just seems so healthy, such a healthy and holistic way to honor and celebrate and move on when someone in your life has passed.
0: That's perfect. That's exactly, that's spot on, Stephanie. I think that's a very, very wise way to, to, to interpret what I just said. And also to do it in your own way. I mean, so funny. Um, you know, Noah, Gabe's sister, Naomi, would, would sometimes come out of the room, out of the room and we would be talking and and something would come up and she'd go, oh, thanks a lot, Gabe. Like she like <laughs> yells at Gabe. Like, <laughs> you know, or, or we'll be like, oh, right. hey, Gabe would like that. How you doing, Gabe? You know, and it's just, and we giggle. It's because Gabe was so funny. He was so hilarious. And he also had a pet snake, which was not my my fan, but I didn't care. So we'd have to go down and feed his pet snake dead mice after he passed away. So Deborah would be like, thanks a lot, Gabe. Yeah, F you. I'm out here feeding a snake, you know? And we would both giggle because we'd go down and do it together. And we finally got the snake a new home, amen. But, you know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You know, I'm more of a dog and cat kind of person, but hey, you know, he named his snake Wendy. I mean, how hilarious is that? You know, we all know Wendy's and our Wendy Trustman and Wendy, you know, this and that, you know, it's like, oh my God, he named the snake Wendy. Like, that's not a snake name, but that was Gabe. So we laugh about all these things. And, And that's the best is that it's actually become like an inside joke, but it's not a joke. It's just an inside knowing, like we're in this little, like, you know, you don't know Gabe. We knew Gabe, but it's not like that. It's just hard to explain. So it's a really joyful interaction that we still have. And, um, and it's good, you know. And you can, you know, and and other people have been, you know, like I won't say this, I don't I, I didn't, but you can we express anger at Gabe. Like he knew not to do this. He knew not to use narcot. We talked about this with him. No pills, no powders. And if you're gonna smoke pot, which you can't stop teenagers from doing, by the way, you don't get it from the street. You get it in our community on the store, or you you know who got it, because there can be stuff in marijuana too. So, you know. pills and powders will kill you. It's not, it's not a, Oh, don't get in the car and drive, you know, after dark, it's, you're going to die. Well, I drove last night, mom. I didn't die. Don't go in the water. There's sharks. Well, I've been surfing for 10 years, never seen a shark. So then parents realize they're telling people, kids, things that are true. This is actually true. It's unfortunate. So no pills, no powders and call me anytime at night. I'll come pick you up yet. I had the rule, you, know, you know, and how many times did I call my parents when I was 16 or 17 and I was worried somebody was drinking and driving. You don't want to be that kid. But the more you talk about it with your kids, these hard things, sex, drugs, you know, the more that they'll trust that you'll actually be there for them.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That,
0: was a, that was a tangent. That was a total tangent.
2: No, Sorry. I no, think I- that's all great advice. And a lot of our listeners ha- are in the thick of it with teenagers right now. We're both in the thick of it with teenagers. And it's good to hear that over and over again. And I just want to go back to say, you know, from earlier, what I said about having that hole. I wasn't, I, I, what I was trying to say is I think I, you know, I haven't experienced the loss of a child, but I would think that a piece of you feels like it's missing. I guess that's what I was trying to say. No, you said um, it
0: beautifully. You're right. That's what people feel. That's what they think, that you're never going to be whole again. But you, you can be. It's just a different whole. Right. You're, you understand life and its preciousness and its fragility and that your child is no longer physically with you. But if, and a lot of people stop there. They don't become whole anymore. So I think what you brought up was really important, Marnie. It wasn't, I don't want to criticize that. I want to, I want to say, yes, that's how lots and lots of people feel. And that's where they end. They say, oh, I'm never going to be complete again. And some people just sit for the rest of their lives and carry that with them. Instead, you can change that, that ball of energy into a joyful one with loss, with mourning. A, A new, a new sense of self wholeness that is never going to be the same.
2: Yeah, I never know, I I think you said that so beautifully and it's something that I've never really thought about or considered and I hope I never have to, frankly, but.
0: We're um, supposed to outlive our kids, right? Yeah. And you, know, and, and you know, the other thing that I think is a great way to talk about children is if you have pets, pets are a setup unless you have a tortoise or a parrot that might outlive you, right? <laughs> and I always think about this as funny, like why would I bond a pet that's gonna put me in the ground? Um, but you know, maybe love tortoises. So, uh, no judgment, but, but I've had dogs all my life and, and when I've lost a, a pet and, and then mourn them, I still have pictures of my dogs up and I don't, you know, we don't want to forget our pets. No, nobody says, Oh, we can't talk about the fact that your dog died, but it's a great way for children to learn about loss. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when you're, if you start with a hamster and go on to a dog or a cat. Um, those animals are going to die. It's kind of a setup. And it's a really great way to teach kids and adults about what it's like to lose something. And then that can be a transition. Remember when five years ago, our dog died at ETC. Well, grandma is not doing well, or, you know, your father or your mother has, you know, got cancer. And we need to talk about the idea that you might, they might die. But a lot of people just say, well, they're going to get better. Don't worry. Kids are kids. Know. They're so smart. Even little kids know, you know, why did you kill that mosquito dad? My, my son Levi asked me and I had to think about it, right? Well, nobody thinks about killing mosquito, but he's really asking about death. That's a window to talk about it. Why do you ask Levi? Tell me what you're thinking. And I'll let him, t- and then I'll meet him wherever he's at. But that can apply to adults too. I mean, you can meet them wherever they're at when they want to talk about it, but not talking about it is, I think, a way for us to shovel it under the carpet. And then we feel, okay, I don't have to deal with that right now. Right. Run so- at it. Run at that. Run at that tough conversation. Make a plan. Talk about it with your kids and with your husband and with your parents. Set up a date. I mean, if it takes just putting it on the calendar, you know, talk about death. And you can put a little skull and crossbones and with a smiley face <laughs> It doesn't have to be like, you know, or- horribly morbid. I mean, you know, we go to get chicken at, at Whole Foods, something died so we could eat it. You know, let's, you can talk about it any way you want. If there's no right answer, not talking about it is the more common solution, so.
2: Well, so that leads me into a question I have. Based on all your experiences, what advice do you have for others who wanna support and be there for people that have lost someone and they don't know what to do?
0: That's a great question. Great, great question, Marnie. I'm glad you asked it. So yeah, so that's the most common thing. So what people don't want to talk about with other people. So let's say, you know, with me, especially people don't know what to say to me when I, they talk about Gabe. So they, because they're uncomfortable with it, they don't bring it up at all. And then they think I'm going to be uncomfortable with it. And that's what they sort of hide behind. Well, I can't talk about it because they might be uncomfortable and I don't really know what to say. That's okay. All we wanna know, all people who've lost somebody wanna know is that you acknowledge that and that you're there for them. So all you can you can start a conversation with, even by saying, hey, I don't know what to say, but I'm thinking about you and I love you and I am here for you. If you wanna get a cup of coffee, if you wanna talk about it, if you don't wanna talk about it, if you wanna to go to, for a workout, if you wanna go for a walk around the lakes, I don't know what to say, it makes me uncomfortable, but I want to know you want you to know that I'm here for you. What a gift. What an amazing gift just to bring it up, because what a lot of people do when somebody dies is they do the Minnesota nice thing. We can't talk about that. You know, abortion, politics, death, taxes, whatever you're not allowed to talk about. How much how many how much do you make? You know, that's rude. Oh, we don't want to be rude. Oh, the hell with it. Be rude. Be blunt But and and fumble through it. Fumble through it you don't have to say the perfect thing. You don't Mm -hmm. have, if somebody starts crying, that's an amazing gift that you're just there to be there for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is on so many levels, right? Not just about death, you know, about anything and that's hard to talk about in life. Um, You know, a lot of women who I'm friends with and talk about, this is a similar thing about a miscarriage. There's so much shame about a miscarriage, which is actually a form of a death, right? So it comes to play. Whereas if you put 10 women in a room on average, six to 10 of them, you know, sometimes all of them have had a miscarriage and it takes one person to go, I had a miscarriage or an abortion, unplanned, uh, unplanned. I had or planned. three
2: miscarriages.
0: Yeah. Right. And and you feel loss. There's death relation. There's potential loss. You're a mother. So you have kids. You wonder what those kids would have been like. And if you go around the room, you will see just these this glimmer, this glow of, of acceptance that go through these people that say, Oh, my God, I I had one, too. I never knew you did. We've been friends for 20 years, 30 years, we never talk about it. It's shame. It's uncomfortable. It's rude. It's private parts, you know, so and you know, you're talking to a guy who deals with poop and pus and everything dirty about a human condition, nothing bothers me. So I have a great window to talk about it, right? Because nothing bothers me. I can do a colonoscopy and eat a sloppy Joe at the same damn time. Don't care. (laughs) Don't care. I know you don't have to put that on the podcast. But I just but it's all human, right? It's all, yeah, horribly wonderfully human. Life is dirty and messy. If you don't know what to say, that's just fine. But don't say nothing. Ugh. That's my only. That's I only sort of hope for people is just be there for somebody.
1: I yeah. love this advice so much, and at the heart of what you're saying, it's, I think people just want to feel heard, and especially when you've gone through something so tragic as death, and everyone is going to grieve and mourn very differently. I think the best we can all do for someone you know, in this situation is just to create this safe space for them and be honest. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what to say. We, we all like fumble over our words and then it's awkward and then we're being Minnesota nice and all the things that you just said, right. but just being there for a friend, a loved one, a coworker, whoever it is, and creating that space so that they can Cry, vent, open up, whatever it is, you know, let their emotions go. It's really powerful, and it's all part of the healing process.
0: Absolutely, for both people, for them, you know, for both yeah. people,
1: you're right. And, yeah. and you don't,
0: you know, perfection is this idea that we all need to be perfect, and we're all getting stuff done, and liposuction, and then we all, you know, hair stuff, and life doesn't like that. There's no perfection. It's it's an endless. You'll never get there. Good luck. Enjoy whatever you do. i not again, no judgment, because that that doesn't work, but. It doesn't exist. So I I oftentimes say to Deborah when we're having a, 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 not a tense discussion, but even when we're we're trying to evolve, I'll say, look, I don't know, forgive my words right now. I'm feeling something I'm trying to, and she'll interpret it perfectly because she knows my heart's in the right place, but I screw it up. I mean, I always screw up my words. I say something that's not what she means and she's very forgiving in those moments. So you can even say that, I'm gonna screw this up, but I wanted to tell you, I'm thinking of you, I love you. And if you wanna talk about this, I'm here. If you just wanna spend time, I'm here. That is a huge gift to both of you because you will learn so much and you'll be uncomfortable. Oh my God, so what? (laughs) Observe yourself, right? That's the biggest thing. Observe yourself being uncomfortable and just rise above and go, oh my God, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm really uncomfortable. I don't have to run. I don't have to have a dramatic experience. I don't have to yell or get angry which is a classic male stereotype. I can just Mm -hmm. be uncomfortable sit with that it's hard
2: hmm.
0: it's really hard but it's great when you sit with it and let it pass so and let it then evolve
2: and i feel like yeah. that advice you could almost offer like that same advice could be used to someone who is maybe who doesn't have a loved one that's actually passed yet but is you know going through those harder end of life stages as well
0: absolutely because that absolutely. too is
2: like another one of those uncomfortable situations where like Do you acknowledge that it's maybe the end of life? Because sometimes, like you said, people don't acknowledge that when it's obvious to everyone else that, okay, this is the end.
0: Yeah. And you know, Jewish, the Jewish tradition has sitting Shiva, which I think is brilliant because then you just go and you bring food and you're not supposed to, you're just supposed to be, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be there for them. You talk about it. You dance, you laugh, you cry, you drink some plum schnapps or whatever the heck that, stuff was terrible stuff we used to have at synagogue that all the kids man the
2: shevitz,
0: Yeah, something like that. I, you know, you just you just there. And that's a really great tradition. But a lot of people don't have that and Jews don't always do it. Um, you know, uh, I think it's important, like you said, that any time, anything that's, that's hard, you can use this advice to just observe yourself, observe the person and then be there. Death, abortion, loss of a loved one you know, loss of a house or a home, loss of a job, it it could be applied to anything really. It doesn't have to be just death, you know?
1: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, Jed, this conversation has been so enlightening and really, you know, really powerful. Um, and it wasn't, you know, we haven't talked about death in this way really at all on the podcast. And so I'm so glad that we're here sharing all this and all your wisdom and insight with our listeners today, because I think it's a topic we need to, we need to talk more about, right? Mm-hmm. Um So one final question we love to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you?
0: That's a, it's a great question because it's so interpretable and it's so, you know, a great, a great, it's a great name for a a conversation starter um you know to me that's changed over over my years um and you know a lot of people say um you know youth is wasted on the young or whatever that saying is um I, I don't think that's quite true but i wish i'd known now what i you know know didn't know then or whatever that the song is and for me um i'm i love the age i'm at i love where i'm at i love that I'm constantly evolving. And living well means bringing meaning into even the smallest things and finding purpose in whatever you're doing and being super, super present with it. So what I tell people is whether I'm operating on somebody and taking out a ruptured spleen or doing colon cancer, which everybody thinks is so important, or just unloading the dishes or reading a, to my youngest child who still actually wants me to read a book to him, which is fantastic, or walking the dog in the rain and appreciating something very small, like a hummingbird that goes by because we have tons of hummingbirds and so we like them. It's whatever you're doing. If you can slow down enough to appreciate the feel of the, the dry and warm dishes on your hand, which people oh, I don't load the dishwasher. That's my 15 year old kid, you know, well, I actually do it with purpose. So it's the smallest movements, how you walk through life. You know, I have an old VW Vanagon that I have, has a stick shift and I love how it drives, it's slow as stink. It doesn't handle well, but it's so such a good experience. And so when I drive it, I just kind of go into that Zen place of, I don't know why, but I just appreciate that every time. So it's finding purpose and meaning, even in things that we sometimes think about as chores or stuff we have to do it's when you're stuck in traffic, you can either think of that as "Oh, I'm stuck in traffic and I spend X hours a day, or I can flip on a podcast or flip on, call my mom, call my dad, um, write down things that I want to get done during the day. And it doesn't mean you have to be efficient. It means that you appreciate that every door that closes is a door that opens. And it's so hard to do that. I mean, it really isn't easy. It takes practice. And I, I don't like the word mindful it's not because i it's just overused but it is mindfulness it is sort of this sense of i have i don't have to change anything i'm doing right now and i can i can stop avoiding the things that i have to do and bring bring joy to my doing them i don't know it's if that's that's kind of nebulous i hope it came across as as as, you know what i what i was trying to say
2: i thought that was beautiful and I love when you said every door that closes is a door that opens. I mean, yeah. you could apply that to anything and that's such a wonderful way to see the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, death is death is like that, you know? Oh, a door has shut, the end of an existence. Well, is it? Right. Is it a door that's shut? Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe you've learned how to talk to your children when somebody passes, or maybe you can apply it. You know, you grow and you evolve. And if you don't deal with these things at this moment, the beauty is, is that they will come up again and you will learn Mm -hmm. and you'll have another chance. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to evolve every time you, you know, go to the paint store and have to look at a thousand paint chips and go, oh my God, I don't care what color the bathroom is. You know, (laughs) oh my God, that's so me. But at the same time, right, you can, go out with your husband or your wife and you can have a cup of coffee and you can say, this sucks. We have to pick out paint chips, but isn't it great? We can afford to pick out paint chips. I mean, we're not, you know, if we have fresh, fresh water. That's not a guilt trip on yourself, but you remember, okay, so let's have fun with it.
2: Yeah. Perspective.
0: and uh, yes. people lose perspective, yes. oh my God, they lose perspective. Oh my God, this guy cut me off in traffic. Great. Who cares? Let it go. Maybe he's on his way to get his mother out of the hospital. You know,
1: exactly. I love your optimism and enthusiasm for life that you're sharing. It's just coming through so strong on, in this conversation. You're definitely, you know, glass half full, not glass half empty, and it's God, so refreshing. It's so refreshing.
0: You know the story about yeah. the two kids that are given a room full of horse poop and a shovel. Yeah. They yes. just, you know, that story where my, they describe my sister as the one who sat down and cried and I'm like, start digging. I'm like, because there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Like, oh, okay. you know, so that was me. And yeah, I'm the most I'm the most um, what would you say optimistic, depressed person you've ever met? I'm not depressed, but I, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. life can be hard. It's not that I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, sort of doing the old. This is great. Like, no, your house burned down. It's not great but it's your house. And if your kids weren't in it, that's great. You know, look, the yeah. dog's here with half his fur. That's great. You know, the yeah. dog didn't die. You know, so every time there's a tragedy, you can learn. And yes, they're tragedies. I'm not saying, oh, let's put rose colored glasses on. Life is hard. The other thing I think people expect is how do how can we just all be happy? I can't stand that. Life isn't about being happy. Happy is, is um, this over sort of Oh, I just, just be happy. Don't worry. It, it doesn't work, but but being joyful and seeing every thing in life as a as an evolution is really a way to not get bogged down by the fact that life can be hard, and that's okay.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so that. much. Yeah. yeah, for this conversation today. This has been wonderful, and Time. just thanks for opening up and really sharing a lot of your you know personal. Yeah, one Personal thing I want
0: to yeah, absolutely. Deborah is working on this thing called Out of the Box, which is all of Gabe's friends who are teenagers and now young adults, who are a remarkable group of very diverse people, um, are working on this thing where eventually it will be online. It's a it's a interactive place where people, young men but also young women, can talk about whatever's hard for them, and they're going they're going to be interviewed by some pretty well known international people to talk about death, to talk about drugs, to talk about sex, to talk about peer pressure. And so it's a, it's a, but it's a totally different thing because the kids are running it. So that's one thing that if people are having a hard time or if their teenagers are having a hard time or if they don't know where to turn, it's called it's gonna be called out of the box. And I can give you Debra's contact at the end. You guys could talk to her about that because it's a really remarkable project where the kids are generating the stuff that they wanna talk about and it's not the adults telling kids what they should be talking about, because we don't really know, you know, um, the kids know. Um, and then the other thing is if anybody is lo- missing a link in their lives that they wanted to actually talk to me, if you wanted to vet that, I'd be happy to talk to somebody or to get them directed towards, towards the right resources.
2: And we'll link all yeah. that up in the show notes. Okay. Yes. And Thank that's you, fabulous. But I'm open to
0: that. Yes. I'm open to whatever you'd like to do.
2: Thank okay. you so much. That's great. Um, Absolutely. and yeah, just, we appreciate all of your wisdom and,
0: well, I, um, you guys are very wise to have this type of podcast and to have a, a, have a place where people can talk about hard things, good things and bad things, which is, this would be sort of a bad one, I guess, you know, and to use the word and try and turn it on its ear. that the more you talk about this, the less scary it gets. You guys are brilliant for doing this podcast and I really appreciate it
2: well thank you thank you we wish you um a great rest of your trip
0: yeah well maybe i'll see you guys over at wherever the place is
1: (laughs) oh right yes all right have a great day you too guys Bye. bye bye judd
2: thank you so much for listening to the art of living well podcast